Our second scripture reading comes to us today from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, to Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,827. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2, verse 4. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. These are the inerrant words of God. May they bring a unifying faith to all who hear them. In the year 42 BC, the great battle of Philippi took place where Octavian and Mark Antony defeated Brutus and Cassius gaining control of Rome. After the battle was over, Philippi was granted the status of being a Roman colony, giving citizenship to many of the people who lived there. Citizenship was important because such a status came with certain rights and privileges. To be a citizen meant that one had the right to vote, the right to a fair trial, the right to make legal contracts, and the right to be married under the state. Yet Roman citizenship also came with responsibilities. These people were now accountable to pay taxes, and the men could be drafted into the military. Their allegiance was now to Caesar. There was an honor and dignity that came with being a citizen. And Philippi was a city that took pride in having such a label. The people, they dressed as the Romans did. They used Roman coins. They even made Latin their official language, even though Greek was commonly spoken. Because of this attitude, numerous retired soldiers settled in Philippi 
For in many ways it had become a miniature virgin of the city of Rome. The people, they were preoccupied with honorific titles and offices. For them, reputation was what was important. It is with this in mind that Paul instructed the members of the Philippian church about another citizenship, one which is greater than that of Rome. But before we dig in, let's review Paul, he was in chains, sitting in a Roman prison for preaching the gospel. The church in Philippi, they heard of his troubles, and they sent Epaphroditus to him, along with a monetary gift to aid him in his time of need. So Paul wrote back to thank them with this letter that we are now studying. He instructed them concerning his own persecution, which had led to the advancement of the gospel. Through his suffering, he demonstrated to them the proper attitude that a Christian should have in the face of tribulation. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, Paul would find his deliverance either through the chains being removed or through his death. To him, it did not matter how his salvation came about, What concerned him was that he would stand boldly for Christ and that the church in Philippi would be brave as well. What does this mean for these Christians? Let's look at the text and find out. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Again, we must dive into the Greek to gain a full understanding of what Paul's words here meant. In verse 27, he uses the word polyteuste, which the NIV translates as conduct yourselves. While this interpretation is halfway decent, it misses the heart of what Paul is trying to communicate. For politeuste literally means to behave as citizens. So the first half of verse 27 could be translated as, whatever happens, behave as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel Christ. Paul, he is evoking all the pride that these Philippians felt as Roman citizens and filtering it into the gospel. They were now citizens of God's kingdom with both privileges and responsibilities. Their allegiance was to King Jesus. So whether Paul was released and came to see them, or whether he died in Rome, they must act as citizens of heaven, being brave as they proclaim the gospel of Christ to those around them. Paul's absence wasn't an excuse excuse for relaxing the duties that they had. Perseverance in the faith 
it calls for no interruptions. Instead, Paul wanted them to be resolute, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, contending as one man. Their purpose was to be the same, being faithful to the gospel. This language that Paul uses here is military language. As citizens, they were, they were to take up their soldierly duties, proclaiming Christ to the world. There is one message. There is one Lord. There is one salvation. One message. Jesus was crucified for their sins, and he had risen from the dead, and he now reigns on his throne from heaven. One Lord, Christ, the King of kings. Just as Roman citizens were unified under Caesar, citizens of heaven must be united under their King, Jesus. One salvation. Jesus is the only way to the Father. The forgiveness of sins only comes through him. It is there that Christians must stand firm and hold their ground. It is through commitment such as this that the gospel goes forth. And if they were unified, then the church in Philippi could stand strong against their enemies. When I was a kid, I used to watch this cartoon show called Voltron. Does anybody know Voltron? I see Ted's hand. Anyways, it's this show with these five mechanical lions, and they would battle against this giant creature, the new giant creature every week they'd have to battle. And they would always be losing the battle until they came together and formed Voltron. So these lions would attach to each other and form this giant robot named Voltron, and Voltron would always save the day. It's the same episode every time. <laughs> but the message is pretty clear, is that when you are unified, then you can stand strong against your enemies. Look at verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. These opponents, whoever they were, were intimidating the church. They were trying to silence the message of Christ. Yet as citizens of heaven, the church needed to remain loyal. This is why Paul urged such unity. There is strength in numbers. Just as Paul's courage inspired others to proclaim Christ boldly, the same would be true for these Philippian believers. They could support one another in the faith if they were of one mind, and their fears would diminish if they were one in spirit. Courage is a sign both for the believer and the unbeliever. To those who know Christ, it communicates certainty of salvation. For their hope is not in this life, but in the life to come. To the unbeliever, 
It declares judgment upon them. The boldness to speak the gospel in the face of death demonstrates the power of God in the life of a Christian. Enemies of Christ, they are confronted with the reality that this life is not all that there is. After death, there is something more. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. In verse 29, Paul uses the Greek word ekariste, which means to extend favor or to freely give. So God has extended his favor to these Philippian believers, not only gifting them in belief in Christ, but also by allowing them to suffer. And not just any suffering, but suffering for him. The persecution that they were undergoing was God's grace towards them. It seems backwards, does it not? I mean, how can Christian persecution be described as God's favor? This grates against our understanding of what grace is supposed to be especially in our culture today. We live in America, after all. As citizens, the American dream is what is important. To be successful, to be prosperous. I mean, who wants suffering? Unfortunately, this attitude of achievement and the gaining of possessions and wealth has infiltrated the church the most obvious case comes in the form of the prosperity gospel. This idea that health and wealth are always God's will for the Christian. And if believers would just have enough faith or speak positively enough, then good things would come their way. Yet these ideas are backwards from what Paul is teaching here. He is basically saying that persecution that these Philippian believers were facing it was a gift from God. So which is it? <coughs> the gospel of the American dream? Or the gospel that Paul preached? Listen to what Martin Luther had to say on the topic of suffering. The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but with the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? This seems harsh, but can you find fault in his words? If Jesus did not run headlong into tribulation, where would we be? Lost, without a Savior. Philippians 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, 
if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Technically speaking, these four verses are all one sentence, with the main clause being in verse 2, make my joy complete. So basically, Paul, he structured his sentence in this way. If this, dot, 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 then make my joy complete by being this, dot, dot, dot. Paul isn't writing this in order to increase his joy, but rather he wants to convey the importance of unity within the church body, of which these Philippian Christians were struggling to maintain. Let's break it down in its three sections, starting with the if this, dot, dot, dot portion first. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Paul, he is giving an emotional appeal here. He is presupposing such feelings upon this church. He knows that as believers, they have experienced such things. And we see four such emotions. Encouragement, comfort, fellowship, tenderness and compassion. There is a pattern here. These are the effects of salvation. Encouragement, comfort, fellowship, tenderness and compassion. All of these result from being in unity with the triune God. Paul, what he is doing here is he is reminding them of the wonderful gifts that they have received as a result of of what Jesus had done for them. So, if they have experienced these things, if Christ has saved them, then make Paul jo Paul's joy complete. As a spiritual father of this church, Paul is reminding them that these amazing things have come about because God had used him to speak the message of truth in their midst. Basically, what he's saying here is, please make an old man happy. For my sake, do these things. What things? Being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and purpose. Paul is showing four different aspects of what it means to behave as citizens. Like-mindedness is thinking the same. Christians should believe the same things. Unity and sound doctrine go hand in hand. Those with heretical beliefs have no fellowship with Christ. So why should they have fellowship with Christ's bride? In the 20th century, we witnessed the rise of the ecumenical movement. This idea of unity for unity's sake became such a 
hot button issue within the church. Many wanted fellowship without understanding what united them in the first place. Churches that denied essential doctrines, such as the inerrancy of Scripture or the literal bodily resurrection of Christ, wanted a seat at the table. But as citizens of heaven, there could be no true harmony without being like-minded. If beliefs don't match up, how can churches work together? For it is our theology that drives our methodology. In other words, churches that teach different doctrines will necessarily have different agendas. They're poles apart. And citizens must have the same love, a love for their king and a love for their fellow patriots. They must put others ahead of themselves. Paul will expound further on this one, so I'll leave it be for right now. Paul then urges them to be one in spirit. Now, he isn't referring to the Holy Spirit here, but rather their enthusiasm. Their attitude must be for one another, and their pride must be for their king. Today, spirit is a terminology mostly used in sporting events, whether it is cheering for a high school football team or basketball team, or the loyalty that NASCAR fans have for their drivers. Spirit is conveyed in both excitement and devotion. Paul calls these Philippians to show such passion for Christ and for his church. And finally, citizens must be one in purpose. They should have a common goal, to advance God's kingdom, bringing glory to the Father. This was a quality of character that Jesus imparted into his disciples. Look again at our first scripture reading once more, Luke 22, verses 28 and 29. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me. True citizens are those who are loyal to their king. They are unified as one underneath him. Paul goes on to instruct these Philippians on a more practical level. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what it looks like to have unity among believers, putting others ahead of yourself, not only those within the church, but all people. It was for this reason that Paul lingered in prison. He did not view his own life as better than others, but sacrificed of himself in order that more people would come to know Jesus. Paul now asked the church in Philippi to do likewise. They were to put away the vain conceit that came from being citizens of Rome and to put on the humility 
that flows from their heavenly citizenship. Dear friends, pride divides. It cares not about others, but only about its own interests. And by doing so, it builds up a wall of separation. Pride sees itself as the greatest and its own needs as as the most vital. Humility, on the other hand, accepts the role of a servant. It looks to the interests of others and sacrifices for those in need. In doing so, strong bonds are formed. The true obstacles to unity are false doctrines, lack of devotion, and self-centeredness. As citizens of heaven, Paul urges these Philippian brothers and sisters to keep their doctrine pure, to be zealous for the gospel, and to have a spirit of humility. If they are to behave as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they must be unified. Friends, if your faith is in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, if you believe that Jesus died for you and that he rose from the dead three days later, if Christ is your king, then you too are citizens of heaven. And God has commanded you to stand firm for the gospel. He has called you to contend with one another as one man for the message of truth. And he is granted to you not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. You see, as Christians, your heritage is a long line of Christian martyrs, from Paul to Polycarp, from John Huss to William Tyndale, from Jim Elliot to countless others whom we do not even recognize. Yet God knows intimately. All these people, they were like-minded and sacrificial. They behaved as citizens for their king. Their attitude was the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But that passage is for next week. Nevertheless, Christ calls you as citizens of heaven to follow the example of your king. If there was anyone who stood firm on God's word, it was Christ. He was one in spirit with his father, obedient to his commands. Though he could have rightly exalted himself, he took a position of humility instead. You see, he didn't look to his own interest, but he looked to yours. He hung on the cross for your sins. 
The wrath of God that was meant for you was poured out on him. He did all of this willingly, purchasing your citizenship, your entrance into his kingdom. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It speaks truth to us. From it, we find unity and doctrine and purpose. We find a reason to love. We find your son, Jesus, our king, and our reason to stand strong for the gospel. As citizens of your kingdom, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit so that we might be unified and contend for the faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.